Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we have something very special for you. Not only is it the beginning of 2023, so Happy New Year, everyone, but we also have a new, what do we want to call it, like an event series? That seems a little too pretentious to call it an event series, but I guess that's kind of what it is. Sort of. So last year we did kind of a themed look back of movies and we did alien type movies right movies that were that had aliens in them yep so this year we're going to do a different topic we're not going to continue with aliens every year but we picked another theme and each month one one week a month we will cover a movie based off of that theme okay and the theme for this now We've we've even come up with a title. So, like like all forms of you know entertainment and art and that sort of stuff. Not that we're so pretentious that we're art, but you know, in a way, we are. We we are constantly evolving. And last year, we didn't really have a name for it. We just called it like our you know our alien you know anniversary series, which is an un, an uninspired name, but it was it is what it is. But keeping with the theming of our ranking system, which is keep, rent, or erase, we decided that we're going to call our special limited series episodes Be Kind, Rewind. I love it. So it's kind of a <laughs> kind, of, kind of blockbuster video feel to it for those of us that remember the blockbuster video era. And it's it's also kind of got that that same feel to, you know, renting, keeping, returning, mm-hmm. rewind, that sort of thing. Be right. Kind Rewind was on all the video cassettes at a certain period of time that, you know, so that that way the people that would rent the movie after you wouldn't have to rewind the video to cassette and start it over. <laughs> oh my it gosh, do you remember the good old days of having to rewind a movie before you watched it or after you finished <laughs> it? Or Yeah, do you remember the good old days of a rewinding machine? The VCR? No, 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 not the VCR. They were like they were little powered machines that you would stick oh, the v- VHS I... tape into, and you'd close it, and it would just high speed go until the like the the there were like there were like <laughs> there was like a balance measuring device in it, and it would notice when it went from one reel to the other, and when it was getting close to the end, so that it wouldn't snap the tape off, it would slow down. Did you do you remember those things? No. Oh man, we had one of those. <laughs> It was, the, it was like the greatest invention in the world for people who <laughs> you know, lived in the era of video cassettes. But we're not in the era of video cassettes anymore, so very few people will remember this. And even some of us, you, for example, who were involved or alive during that period of time, don't remember these rewinding machines. But they <laughs> did exist. We had one that was a, in the shape of a red car. We just had our VCR, and you just hit rewind and let it rewind. We we did two for a while, but then it became apparent to us if we wanted to do like a movie marathon, you'd have to sit through the rewind process. Yeah, but it usually didn't take putting... that long. Yeah, but you know this way you could just swap it out. And if you had a movie that was two tapes long, like say The Godfather or Titanic or something like that, you could pop the second tape in and rewind the other one while you started the middle of the movie. All right, technology. <laughs> We did not have anything that fancy. High technology. Yeah, fancy for the low, low price of like five ninety five or whatever the hell they cost. Anyway, so this year's theme is one that is near and dear to my heart. We're, we, we were going to originally launch this series of reviews with the new movie, The Fablemans, 
which is Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical most recent film. And we can't find a theater that's anywhere near us <laughs> that's actually playing this movie. I think the closest one is two hours away. Good God, why? Why is no one showing this movie? I can't figure this out. I, I don't know. I don't, I have no clue. Hmm. But like you said, this series this year is going to be Steven Spielberg movies. Right. So right. we decided to just move them around and start and go oldest movie to newer movie. Right. So we're punting the Fablemans to the end of the year. By that time, it will be on video somewhere. We'll inevitably have the 4K of it or at least a rental of it of somewhere, in some way, shape, or form. Then we'll be able to review that one for you. But that will be the wrap-up. Since it is his most recent movie, mm-hmm. hopefully it will still be his most recent movie at the time. Maybe it won't be. Who the hell knows? But it's the autobiographical film, which I think, or semi-autobiographical film, which I think would be a nice capper to this little event. I agree. So, so to- what movie are we going to do today, then? This was a... TV movie that aired on ABC in 1971. It's called Duel. It's based on a novel by the great Richard Matheson, horror writer. You will recognize this guy's work from the title that I'm about to give you. I Am Legend. Okay. He wrote that. Okay. I thought I read somewhere that they made this a little longer so it could be a theatrical release. They did. Did they, they did. not release it in theaters? They did. It was in, it was in theaters overseas. Oh. And then it was here, It was here, I think, in the U.S. in a limited release. So you know how we can't get to the Fablemans? This wouldn't have even, like, sniffed the Midwest. This probably would have been on the coasts. Okay. And that would have been it. All right. So, yeah. But they, they did. They extended it. They filmed a couple of extra scenes for it. I'm not sure if Matheson was involved in that. Maybe you'll have the trivia to back that up or in one way or the other. But... Yeah, he uh, Matheson adapted his his original novel into or short story, I should say, into the screenplay that we're about to talk about. So with that, Jen, do you want to give us the cast and crew? I do. So we already talked about who directed Steven Spielberg. Right, obviously this. Steven Spielberg, since you know you did mention it was written by Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. Yep. It stars Dennis Weaver as David Mann. Right. Two ends. And Jacqueline Scott as Mrs. Mann. Right. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) There's another truck driver, but we don't ever see this guy. So Dennis Weaver is the guy from Gunsmoke. I never saw that. I never watched Gunsmoke either, but that's that's how I know him. I know of him. But we also have Carrie Lofton, who played the truck driver, the guy that's menacing him. Now, Carrie Lofton is a guy who has been a stunt driver, had been, a, I guess, I don't know if he's still alive, I don't think he is, but he had been a stunt driver in Hollywood for a lot of years. His, most famously, he's responsible for the stunt driving in The French Connection, which if anybody asks about a car chase, they point to The French Connection as an example of what is a perfect car chase. So he was he did that, he did, he did Bullet, a lot of like Steve McQueeny type movies. So yeah, so Carrie Lofton, I think, deserves, I think, a, a quick mention, even though we never see his face. Do you want to get into the story of this thing? Sure. Let's right. uh, let's talk about it. All right. So, David Mann, he is a put-upon husband and a traveling salesman. He's on a business trip going from his home through the Mojave Desert to San Francisco. While he's there, he comes across this dilapidated truck. 
It's got a huge gasoline tank that it's hauling. Along the back of it, it's got big red letters that say flammable. So you know this guy's trouble right off the bat. Or he's just a truck driver. Well, it looks like trouble. <laughs> like the way that the way that it's presented when you first see it is, it looks like trouble. It's spewing noxious black smoke, and and it like it's very obviously the bad guy, right? Like this is very obviously the bad guy in this movie. Well, I didn't know that at the time when we first started watching this. I had no clue what this movie was about. Oh, really? Okay. Well, okay. But but looking back on it, you can see the earmarks, right? Right. Dilapidated right. truck, right. big red letters warning you mm-hmm. off, black smoke pluming out of the you know the vehicle. But man decides he's going to pass the truck because he doesn't want to sit behind it and breathe the noxious fumes. Which I don't blame him. Right. You I don't get blame him either. some of those vehicles. That is disgusting. Absolutely. But. The truck driver has other ideas, so he decides he's going to overtake David's car again, and then he slows back down to the speed he was at. I hate those type of drivers. (laughs) I hate those type of drivers. So he gets frustrated, man does, and he decides to pass the truck again. But when he does, he passes it a little too quickly or something. I don't know what the major offense is here, but the truck driver blares his horn at him, and uh, David kind of waves at him a little bit, like a little snarky, but, you know, waves at him and then takes off. The truck's in his rearview mirror, and he pulls over to a gas station to fill up. While he's there, the trucker shows up and parks next to him. Now, David can't see into the truck, so he never sees what this guy looks like. The truck's way too high for him to see. While he's at the truck, while he's at the gas station, he has the guy fill up gas that he goes inside to call his wife who when we find out that this is where we find out that like he didn't stand up for his wife when she was being pawed at by some other guy that, you know, was in a party with them and she's upset with him. So we've got it shows him as kind of a weak character, as a weak person, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which is, I guess, kind of the idea here. You've got David and Goliath, sort of, you know? Sure. Like the weakest and the biggest versus each other in the end, really. When he comes back out, the driver's not in the truck, but he can kind of see on the other side of the truck, he can see the boots of the mm-hmm. driver. And they're like they're brown cowboy boots, and they're all scuffed up. And the gas station attendant says to him, hey, you're... you're your air conditioning, or your, not your, what is it, your radiator hose, looks like it needs to be replaced. Mm-hmm. And he says, ah, okay, whatever. You're just trying to get money out of me. I'll take care of it later. And he takes off. While he's on the road, the truck catches up to him again and then passes him again. So now he's kind of upset. This is the kind of this is the kind of thing that would piss me right off, right? Like, he just keeps passing you for no goddamn reason at all. <laughs> so, so he tries to get around him again. Man tries to get around this truck. But now the truck is swerving into his lane, into the op- into the oncoming lane, to stop him from being able to get around him. I know. It's like, what is wrong with this guy? Just <laughs> super irritating. But then, but then the driver relents and he tries to wave him on. He sticks his arm out the window and he waves him to go ahead and go around him now. Go ahead. That's fine. Go around him. But as soon as David pulls into the oncoming lane, there's another vehicle there. He, the driver literally is trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. By sending him into the oncoming lane with traffic heading his way. So, this movie, and I've only seen this movie a few times. This movie is probably one of the big reasons why I'm always suspicious of everyone on the road. (laughs) (laughs) He finally manages to get around him. He uses a a service road, an unpaved service road, to get around the truck. And 
eventually, though, the truck catches up to him again. Yeah. Like, it keeps catching up to him and then, like, harassing him. This time, it's tailgating him and, like, pushing on him with the, with its with its front bumper. And so, David speeds up. Now, I thought this was funny. He's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it at this speed. 70 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, how I thought, things have changed. I thought that was funny, too. They're, yeah. like, they're showing the speedometer going, and it's, like, creeping up to, like, 55, then 60, <laughs> then 60. And you're like, ooh. Oh, high-speed chase here, huh? <laughs> but think about it. The the tire technology has changed yep. so much yep. that you can handle 70 miles an hour right. easily now. Cars back then didn't have, like, all the computer systems to, like, maintain stability and all right. this other stuff. Right. So I get it. It's just a little... Anachronistic it's, to it, like see it, it now. Seems you know? dated, it seems yeah, dated. Yeah, a little dated. <laughs> Just a little dated. Yeah, yeah. But but the whole frustrating driver road rage that's still around. Oh, it's perennial, right? That's a, <laughs> yeah. that is a, that is an evergreen topic. <laughs> right. So. But they they have a little high speed chase at their 70, 75 mile an hour price point or speed point, I guess I should say. And uh, David ends up veering off the road into a parking lot across from a diner where he barely stops his car before running it into a fence pole. And then we get probably my favorite interaction in the whole movie is, now he's not wearing a seatbelt at this point. You see him put a seatbelt on later when he's deciding to like take further action Mm -hmm. later on. But like before this, no seatbelt. 1971. Guessing optional at this point, right? Right. So he doesn't have a seatbelt on. He smacks sideways into this fence, and like two old timers are standing there, and one of them walks over and he's like, You all right? And David's like, Yeah, yeah, my head just really hurts. And he goes, Ah, it's just a little bit of the whiplash. You'll be fine. And he kind of like <laughs> smacks him on the shoulder. I'm like, What are you doing? <laughs> and like, he's like, Ah, it's just the whiplash. He's just got the whiplash over here. Like, <laughs> They're just so nonchalant about, you know, potential head trauma. Who cares? Yeah, it's but fine. I'm sure that wasn't a known thing back then. No, no. Then. I mean, it wasn't yeah. It wasn't as a big a deal as it is now. I know. Right. It's just, again, like you said, dated yeah. in that way. So, but yeah. So he, he gets out of the car. He stumbles a little bit, which makes me think concussion. And he walks into the diner to use the bathroom and get himself composed. And when he comes out of the diner... He sees out the window, the truck is back. Even though it blew past at 70 miles an hour, it slowed down, turned around, came back, and parked. And the driver's not in it. Which David, and probably everybody else watching this movie, takes to mean that the driver is in there, Mm -hmm. in the diner with him. So David finds a booth, and he sits down, and the waitress comes over, gives him a menu, and he uses it kind of for cover so he can kind of see. He looks around at, like everybody's shoes because he wants to see who's wearing the boots. Right. And he sees two that might, eh, might be the boots. They might be the boots. And he approaches the guy and he starts a fist fight with him without knowing for sure that it's him. Right. Like, what <laughs> the hell is the matter with you, dude? So... <laughs> Well, he's obviously not thinking straight. Right, he's right. scared. He's, yeah, yeah, he he's is. Scared. He's panicked at this point. Yeah. There's a guy basically trying to kill him with a truck. And the other customer, like, leaves because I... What, what, 
the guys, the guy that owns the place, I'm assuming, or the cook or whatever, comes over and he's like, I'll buy you a beer. It's going to be okay. I'll buy you a beer. And the guy's like, nah, forget it. I'm going to leave. And he takes off. And David looks out the window and the guy climbs into the truck, but it's not the truck. He climbs into his truck, which is a completely different truck. That's not the guy. Mm-hmm. So David takes off. He Well, what happens is the truck starts up. The guy was never in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. When you, you kind of see like far in the distance, you can't make him out. He climbs back into the truck. It starts to take off. And then he gives foot chase. He like basically runs after it. Obviously, he's not going to catch it. But So at what point in this whole thing does he just say, screw it, I'm done with this dude, I'm going to turn around and go back, or I'm going to turn around and find a different road to go on and just lose this guy? Interesting. There is a moment in the book, in the short story, where he contemplates finding an alternate route, like getting somewhere else, you know? To me, I'm just like, okay, obviously this dude is just being an asshole. Why not call the cops? You're at that diner. They must have a phone. Well, he does try calling somebody at some point, but then... The snake Arama, yeah. he calls the cops. Yeah. But at that point, I mean, it's, it's, it's so late, late in the that. game yeah. at that point. I don't know. I, I just kept thinking, okay, go somewhere else. Stop. Get off that road. Get off the road. Yeah, get off the road, right? Like, why would you still be engaging in this scenario? And to his... He will try some things. Mm-hmm. To his credit, later on, they're just not going to be effective things. Right. Which, I guess, kind of speaks to David as a character. He's kind of an ineffectual human being, you know? He's not a very good salesman. He's not a very good husband. He's not very good at driving. This is his day of reckoning, I guess. Yeah. But, so, he gets back on the road, and he is still trying to make it to this appointment in San Francisco on time. But he comes across a broken-down school bus... And he stops to help him. He ends up getting caught under the school bus. This is so stupid. Why would you think a car can push a giant bus? I was like, what What are these people thinking? I mean, just totally idiotic. <laughs> well, David doesn't think that he's going to be able to do it. He, he knows he's going to get yeah. stuck. Yeah. The bus driver is the one that pushes him to do it. Ugh, dummy. And he finally just says, okay, fine. There's a bunch of kids. But while he's doing this, once he gets stuck... The truck shows back up, and it's in, a, like, the other side of a tunnel, yeah. sitting there watching him, basically. Very menacing. Yeah, just sitting there watching him. And he... Some of the stuff reminded me of the movie that I have seen, more recent, Joyride. So I was wondering if Joyride is kind of based off of this. It is, yeah. Okay. Joyride is a loose, loose, loose adaptation of this, okay. or inspired by this, I would say. Right, inspired by yeah. it. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yep. But once, once David sees the the truck he's like in a panic and he gets he you know he manages to with the help of the bus driver get his car loose and then he takes off as quickly as he can and before that though you know he's trying to protect these kids and get them on the and these little shits are just (laughs) running i'm like these damn kids i they suck but they don't know they don't know that that truck's trying to murder but they're still not listening you have two adults that are trying to say okay please get on the bus and they're like running around the highway like crazy what are you doing damn hooligans uh, well okay so here's the thing the truck's not trying to kill people the truck's only trying to kill david and we're gonna see that later on he's gonna actually like let people go past him that aren't david but not david Mm-hmm. David Mann is not allowed to go past this truck. Anyway, but you're right. The, the kids are like pains in the ass. 
I don't like a lot of these people in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> what do they call that? Uh, he takes off and he sees in his rearview mirror that the truck pulls around, goes after the bus, but not to hurt it. Mm-hmm. It actually pushes the bus yeah. to try and get it started. Mm-hmm. He's Not only is he ignoring everybody else, he's helping other people. Mm-hmm. It's just David that he doesn't like. Now, I do have a question, though. I can't talk like that. What's your question? We see multiple times this dude has multiple license plates on Mm -hmm. his truck. What is that about? So, now I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it is how trucks were licensed back in the 70s before they started getting... Like different stickers on them. I have a little tidbit here. Can I just share it now? Let's hear it. Steven Spielberg says that the multiple license plates on the front bumper of the truck suggest that the truck driver is a serial killer, which ran down other drivers in other states. Are those supposed to be the plates of other vehicles? I I would assume so. Then interesting. But I did. I was. I kept wondering because I'm like, you don't see semi trucks with multiple state license plates uh -uh. on them. That's not something normal. But then again. This is a long time ago. Maybe that was a thing. Right. I was kind of curious about it. So I did look it up, but I did find that that was kind of, he's hinting that he might be a serial killer. Now, in the short story, there's only one license plate. So it's not like a multiple license plate thing. That's something that was put in for the movie. David gets some distance between himself and the truck while the truck is trying to jumpstart the bus. But he finds himself stuck at a railroad crossing with a long train delaying him. And, of course, who comes up behind him? Of course. The truck. But the truck isn't just sitting there menacing him anymore. Now it's actively trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. It tries to push him into this train. Mm -hmm. And it's only because the end of the train comes that David is finally able to speed past. And he gets around a bend and he pulls over and lets the truck roar past him. And he gets back on the road, and he he just wants to take it easy. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna miss his appointment, but he'll get there alive. Is basically his rationale, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a little ways up the road, the truck has pulled over, and it's waiting for him, just waiting there for him. Mm-hmm. He tries to get around it. It pushes him into doesn't push him into like the not not the that's not the cliffside. That's later, but pushes him onto the shoulder. But he manages to get around it. Then he ends up. Seeing a place called Snakerama, which is kind of like a roadside attraction slash gas station. The biggest ball of twine. Yeah, it's like the biggest <laughs> ball of twine, right? And he pulls over there and asks her if she's got a phone because he's had it now. He's going to call the cops. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to call the cops. After all of this, he's going to call the cops now. Mm-hmm. So she says, yes, but it's a phone booth in the back. I don't have one in the building. you got to go to the phone booth, this little freestanding phone booth in the back. And... What I thought was funny is he's out there and he's muttering the whole time. He's like, who has a phone out in the middle of nowhere like this? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, indeed, David. Who does have a phone out there in the middle of nowhere like that anymore? Nobody has these phones anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't seen a phone booth in forever. When's Mm -hmm. the last time you saw a phone booth? Probably when you called me back in 97. (laughs) 1997. Have you seen one since then? Little tiny phone booth in Emmons, Minnesota. I don't think I've seen one since then. I mean, I might have seen one in New York, but they were okay. those little halfsies, you know, like okay. half ones. Sure. Yeah. 
That might have been a little bit later, but not by much. Maybe 2002, <laughs> 2003 time frame, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets in the phone booth and he tries to call the cops. But he is calling the cops. He's on the phone with them when the truck shows up and it starts smashing the Snake-O-Rama to pieces, starting with the phone booth. David just barely jumps out and gets free. Or gets to safety, I should say. Or relative safety, just as this truck is smashing into the phone booth. And then the truck manages to terrorize the woman that owns the Snake-O-Rama, too, by smashing up all of her snakes in pursuit of David. And David runs off to his car, gets in the car, and takes off. So, a little tidbit here. Yeah. The phone booth smashing thing, mm-hmm. David Mann, who was playing it, Dennis Weaver? Dennis Weaver, okay. yeah. So, Dennis Weaver... Did not have a stunt person. That was him in there. <laughs> he had and, a stunt driver, but apparently the driver is going to nope out of that, huh? They had flags set up for the driver, oh. and Dennis had to be out of that phone booth by the time he hit one of the flags, and if, if he wasn't, then the driver was supposed to veer off. Okay. So there was, like, flags set up to try and time this thing. Okay. So... That'd be a little terrifying, I think. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That's crazy. I thought you were going to tell me that, like, he missed the first flag or something like that. No. I thought there was more to the story than that. No, that's sorry. How they did it. Okay. Sorry. Right. But I, I thought that was interesting that it he did not have yeah. a stunt double. Yeah, that is interesting. That's unheard of now. I mean, people have stunt doubles for most of this stuff. Except for Tom Cruise. Well, there's a few people that do their own <laughs> stunts, but for the most part, no, you have stunt doubles. Well, Tom Cruise is protected by Xenu. <laughs> anyway, so J- so when David gets away from the Snake-O-Rama, the truck is still, like, farting around in there, and he manages to get far enough away and around a bend that he can pull off to the side of the road, and down by these railroad tracks, he can kind of tuck his car away and hide. And then he watches the truck vroom, zip by him without seeing him. So he decides he's going to take it easy and wait and... Take a nap and wait for the truck to get as far ahead of him as he can. And then he's going to do the whole leisurely thing again. My only question is, if it stopped along the side of the road once already, what makes him think, now that things have escalated, that it won't do it again? This is, again, where I'm thinking, go back the other way. Right. Yeah, turn around and go back the other way. Go back to the diner and say, okay, look, this dude is trying to murder me. He just blew up the Snake-O-Rama. You know the Snake-O-Rama? I'm guessing you're related to the people that own the Snake-O-Rama, that your cousin's, your sister cousin's freaking, you know, Snake-O-Rama is smashed up. Call the cops. Something. But no, he doesn't. He continues yeah. on. Mm-hmm. He continues on. Why he does is is in question, really. Mm-hmm. Right? But, so, at some point I should point out that we never find out who this driver is. We don't get a name. We don't get a face. We get nothing. We get boots in a murderous tanker truck. In the short story, when David passes it the last time, he sees on the side of the truck, it says Keller, which he misinterprets as killer at first, but then when he finally gets a good look at it, he sees that it's actually Keller, and that's what he calls him. He calls the driver. At that point, the driver becomes Keller. It's not just the truck. It's Keller this and Keller that. So something interesting is that they left that out of this movie entirely. This movie is an an anonymous killer, whereas 
in the short story, at least there is some semblance of personality to, or personhood, I guess, to the truck or mm -hmm. the truck driver. Mm -hmm. I, that's really the only difference. When I, was, when I was listening to this short story, I found it on Hoopla from my library, from our local library. But when I was listening to the short story, it is almost beat for beat like this movie, except for the couple of extra bits that were added in for the, you know, flushing it out to make it a theatrical release. Anyway, David gets back on the road, but just a little ways up, the truck is waiting for him again. He tries to go past it, but it pulls out and blocks him. So he backs off. And then when an elderly couple drives by, he flags them down and says, hey, can you do me a favor and call the cops when you get to the next phone call the cops this guy's trying to kill me mm -hmm. and the old lady there is like what are you doing don't listen to this guy just get away go go away mister we're trying to just drive okay you're scaring my wife buddy you gotta go so he yeah so they while they're having this conversation the truck starts backing up towards them mm -hmm. <laughs> but he lets the old people drive by mm -hmm. the trucker does and at that point, David gets back in his car, and he finally gets past the truck because the truck's backed up far enough that his car is now in front of the truck. Mm -hmm. And so he takes off, and the truck gives chase. They, The chase leads up a mountain, and at this point, David's got the upper hand because the truck, being as heavy as it is, will not be able to maintain the speeds that David will be able to, or at least the rate of acceleration that David would be able to maintain when trying to get to the top of this mountain. But Chekhov's radiator hose comes back into play. <laughs> <laughs> and it blows a gasket. The car overheats and he starts to lose speed, but he manages to make it to the top of the summit, or to the top of the summit, to the summit of the mountain, and then he coasts down the other side. But he loses control along the way, and he smashes into the side of a cliff along the roadside. The truck is coming still now. The truck somehow has managed to, like, pick up speed. Mm -hmm. Gives it almost a supernatural feel then, right? Like, normal truck would, would struggle the way this mountain is. The grade of this mountain, the normal truck would struggle to get to this speed this quickly. Well, not once you start going down, though. I mean, No, 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 but... But it made it to the it made it to the summit faster than you mm -hmm. would think that it would. It felt like it was on him so quickly. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the truck was meant to almost have like a almost a supernatural quality. Like you can't stop right. the truck. Right. Not really supernatural, like in like magic or something was behind it. But it's not Christine. But, yeah. But there's something pushing this thing that. That just, you can't get away from it. Right. It's fate. Mm -hmm. The truck is fate, right? The truck is David's fate. He needs to prove himself as a, I guess in the in the, in the the 1970s parlance, prove himself as a man, but he needs to prove his worth as a human being, I guess, mm -hmm. is the idea. At least that's what I took from it. So the truck, upon him again, tries to smash into him, but he manages to get the car going again. Even though it's overheated, he manages somehow to get the car going again. And he leads it, he leads the truck up a dirt road to the edge of a canyon. And then he turns around at the edge of the canyon and faces the truck that's coming at him. He uses his briefcase to 
brace his car into the you know accelerating position by pushing down the accelerator and bracing it against the bracing the briefcase against the seat or the side piece or whatever what do they call that center console and then dives out of the car as the car and the truck collide and the car bursts into flames there's a, a quick moment where you're getting kind of a pov shot from inside the truck and you can see that he's obscured by like the you know the smoke belching into the into the window and the uh, the fire lapping over the top of the thing so he can't see where he's going mm-hmm. but that's the only time that we take on the perspective of the truck and it's only there to show you that the only reason that he was able to or that he wasn't able to regain control is that he wasn't able to see how close he was to the edge mm-hmm. and both the car and the truck pitch off the cliff into the canyon and that's it. They don't explode though. David's car exploded, but the truck doesn't explode. So a couple things. Yeah. The truck coming down the side looked great. Yeah, it did, didn't it? It looked really good. Mm -hmm. Practical effects for the win. Now they did that in one take. (laughs) I would hope so. What are they going to do? Buy like five of those? Right. They just didn't have the budget for that. But if you watch when the thing is coming down, that truck is coming down, the driver's side door is open. Yes, I saw that. And I thought, oh gosh, is he going to be alive up there? But no, then they show you blood. Now, what happened in real life is the stunt driver uh, had to get out. And when he jumped, he tried slamming the door it didn't latch, so of course it flung open. <laughs> they couldn't do another take, and so Darn. that's why we see the blood inside because Spielberg wanted to make sure it was obvious obvious that the driver was dead. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so the what what said to me that this was finally over is not just the blood dripping, but the wheel finally stopping, the wheel on the truck finally just grinds to a halt yeah and then did you laugh a little bit when you saw david like celebrating at the top of the cliff yeah, i'm was, like what are you doing he was dancing around like a goon i was like what are you doing dude <laughs> anyway it, so that's the end of the movie we we the credits roll over a shot of david as the sun's setting he's just kind of throwing rocks and kind of it looks like he's contemplating his life at that point. Yeah. It doesn't look a, like he's too yeah, victorious. No, nah, it was kind of a weird thing you would do, I guess, after something like that. But eh, whatever, I guess everybody's going to do their own thing. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. So do you have any other trivia stuff or notes that you want to talk about? I do. I've got a couple right. things. So according to Richard Matheson, he was inspired to write this story after he had an encounter with a tailgating truck driver. And he decided to go ahead and make it into a story. That would inspire me to do that, too. (laughs) If it hadn't already been done, yeah. I've been tailgated a bunch of times by truck drivers, and I can tell you, it definitely inspires you to do something. (laughs) Mostly shit your pants. (laughs) Especially here in Minnesota in the winter, because sometimes those roads are bad, and you just don't know if they're going to stop in time. (laughs) There's no stopping a truck going 80 miles an hour when the ice hits. Sorry. No. Not when you're that close. No. Not happening. Steven Spielberg was shown seven different semi-trucks to choose from. He chose this Peterbilt because the cab resembled a face. Sure. 
the you know interesting side note to that the and I don't know if they made it up to look this way but the truck is almost exactly as it is described in the book okay almost exactly down to the flammable thing on the back and the the uh, the ricketiness of it I guess so you mentioned that the truck does not explode right after it goes off the cliff which yeah. so many of these movies Oh yeah, car cars barely ding into each other and <laughs> they're just exploding. Kaboom! They're <laughs> yeah. exploding. The network executives wanted the truck to explode after well, it, it went over the cliff. Flammable on the back. You think it was going to explode? Right, and I'm gonna. I got a little pointer about that too. Okay. Spielberg argued against this because he wanted to show the truck slowly dying, so audiences could get a sense of payback. Oh, this is going to come back into play. When we talk about Jaws. Okay. I got stuff to talk about, about the similarities between this and Jaws, but I'm going to save them for when we do that episode. The other thing about the tank, I read somewhere that Spielberg said that the tank is going to be empty because it would be really dangerous and dumb for a truck driver to be driving and doing the stuff he was doing if he had highly flammable liquids in the back of his truck so the implication is that it's okay because it's empty (laughs) well but it's empty so it's not going to explode because why would he be doing that if it was full of flammable fluids perilous to himself is what you're saying yeah, not to I, other people because he's still doing some pretty crazy shit even without right. a, you but know, a tanker I, full I'm of guessing gas. he's not trying to kill himself, though. He's just trying no. to kill somebody else. Right. Just one guy, though. Right. Not a school bus full of kids or like the old couple that passed by no. or any of the other people. But according to Spielberg, this guy could be a serial killer and has killed, like, picked other drivers out mm. there. And So he picked one person. Mm-hmm. I do like that. I have never heard that before. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this movie. This is one of those movies that the early movies, the pre-Jaws Spielberg movies, this one and the Sugarland Express, I don't know a ton about. But I've seen them both. But uh, but I don't know as much about them as I do about Jaws and the movies after. So, But okay. that's, an interesting, that's an interesting point. I kind of like that. It gives it a little bit different character when I'm thinking about it now. The idea that Mm -hmm. this guy is potentially, or was potentially a serial killer, Mm -hmm. and he's using those as his trophies. That's It makes sense, because why else would you have those on your truck? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know, you could have researched that, Jen. (laughs) I did. (laughs) No, I mean, do do other, do trucks, did trucks in the 70s have license plates on there? Yeah. Yeah, see? Like falling down on the job over there. Jeez. I know. All right, I got a couple alternate castings for David Mann. Really? Okay. Dustin Hoffman. I could have seen that. This is this is an everyman kind of character, and Dustin Hoffman early on in his career, definitely everyman vibes. Definitely. Yeah. Gregory Peck. <laughs> <laughs> you just definitely me. That's good. I like that. That's good. That's good. Yes. Good call. Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck is good in anything. So I think I have no no doubt that Gregory Peck could have pulled this off. I just don't think that I, f- I feel like Dennis Weaver did a great job here. Yeah, I think and so I think too. That, I think yeah. that his his performance here stands the test of time, even if there are some things that seem anachronistic now that maybe weren't so much so back then. So I guess to me we have kind of a what if Chris Farley was Shrek kind of a situation going sure. on where I can't put somebody else in this because David Mann, Dennis Dennis Weaver 
embodies this role. But not, and I don't want to. I don't look. I don't want to drag Dennis Weaver, but Dennis Weaver really wasn't known for much of anything except for Gunsmoke and a couple of other things. He'd been in a few other things, but this guy was not an unknown, but just kind of a character actor. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sure. So a real everyman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dustin Hoffman, not so much, although in 1971, just at the cusp, really? Yeah. And definitely Gregory Peck, not an everyman. Gregory Peck, that's Atticus goddamn Finch, man. That's not an everyman, mm-hmm. you know? So, anyway, yeah. No, I don't. I, I'm okay with who he cast. Who are the other ones? You said you had other No, potential? just a couple. Oh, just, oh, okay. So just a couple of, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. Cool, cool. I don't have any other notes other than what we talked about while we were going along. I think that this movie is definitely a movie about David becoming. David, you know, kind of figuring out who he is. So I I think that's kind of my takeaway from this. So, do you have any other notes that you want to talk about before we're... No, I don't. No more tidbits, no more notes. Nope, I've covered everything. Let's do our thing. Jen, keep renter a race, and why? I don't want to. <laughs> Why don't you want to? I don't know on this one. I wow. really don't. I will probably never watch this movie again. Okay. It was incredibly boring. There <laughs> you were, don't like older I movies. I literally wrote down here, my God, this movie is boring. <laughs> and then at the beginning, we get this long opening clip of him driving. Shot for the theatrical release. They added that in. And I'm like, okay, what is happening? Where are we going? Can we get here yet? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> I was like three minutes into the movie. I'm bored. So this isn't a race. This, this, but here's the thing. I feel like this movie has some importance and some weight behind it. Okay. I mean, this is one of Spielberg's first movies. His first theatrically released film. And... I think there's some interesting things that do happen in here. I like the serial killer truck driver that's mm-hmm. mysterious. We don't know who or why. Why did he pick on this guy? We right. don't know. Right. It, it's menacing. It's a yeah. little scary. There were moments where I was a little tense when the truck was like running him off the road and stuff, you know? So it did get better after a while. That's why I'm like, I don't know if... <laughs> I should put it in rent because there's some importance and some good things in there. But at the same time, I won't ever watch this again. I have no desire to sit through this movie again. But it but sounds I like don't, some of it worked for you. But some of it worked for me. And I don't want to tell people, oh, just erase this. You should never watch it. Because I feel like people should watch this at least once if they're film fans. If they're not film fans, like if they're not a fan of the art behind film... I don't think they need to watch this movie. Really? No. Oh, okay. So, can I go somewhere between rent and a race? Is that no. allowed? Nope. There's only <laughs> there's only keep rent or a race. We have three categories. You can say strong or weak rent. We've we've been there. We've yeah. done that. Let me do it. If you want to okay. say weak rent, do that. I'm gonna go then with a weak rent because wow. I feel like for some people this is I I understand why this would be a movie for people to watch. Okay. For me, no, it's not my cup of tea. Sure. But I don't know that it's worth an erase. It's just for me, I won't watch it again. So for me, I would probably erase, but I don't think it should really be erased. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind okay. of. Okay, sure. All right. 
That makes sense-ish, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, my rambling's on here. That's all right. How about you? For me, and this might surprise you, but this is a weak keep. And the reason it's a weak keep is that, for reasons that you've already laid out, there is some historical significance to this movie. This is Spielberg's first theatrical release. You can see what he's going to become in this movie. You can see flashes of what he's going to become in the 80s in this movie. There's some, there's some, there's some value in that. There's a, there's a great deal of value in that. There's a great deal of value in the, the history of film with this. I, myself, am a fan of the 1970s in cinema. That is a, an era of great upheaval that is really, really reflected in the art of its time. And I love that. I love what we got from the cinemas in the 1970s. And this qualifies because of what it was, because it was at one point released theatrically. However, this is not a keeper for everyone. This is a keeper for people who are like me, who want to have a historical document of Spielberg's film or a historical document of the late 1960s through late 1970s in in American society. And that period of time is vastly interesting to me. So a weak keep. So if you're like me, this is a strong keep. If you're not like me, this is probably a rent. So weak keep. That's where I end up. All right. So kind of the same thought process, only you liked it a little bit more than I did. (laughs) I I did. I liked it because of what we see Spielberg becoming in this movie. And, and, And when we get to Jaws, I will... I will connect these dots because there is there is a lot of similarity between this film and Jaws, it not just not in subject matter but in themes. So we'll we'll get there. Okay. We'll get to Jaws. When are we doing that? Anyway, is that like next month? Next month. Yeah. It's next month. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing next? All right. Next week we are going to cover the new Netflix movie, Glass Onion. I always like shrivel my nose when it's a Netflix movie because I'm not I'm not quite impressed with Netflix movies. But, that's because there's so much more that's not good than good. That's yeah, probably why. They, yeah. They're not all bad. They have some that are decent. True. That being said, now, Glass Onion is like the next, like, it's like the sequel to Knives Out, right? Sort of. It's got a similar character, but it's not like a continuation of the story. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. But it's Ryan Johnson, right? The yes. same guy that did the first one? Okay. It is. All right. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give anything Ryan Johnson does a try. So far, I haven't been unimpressed with anything that he's done. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. So Me I guess, too. Uh, yeah. There we go. I guess we'll see you next week right here on the couch with Glass Onion. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.